God is good? And all the time? Amen. Man, y'all are loud back here. I like it. I like it. Well, listen, uh, thank you for being here today. If you are a visitor, thank you so much for coming and being a part and being our guest here. If you don't mind taking the card in the seat back pocket in front of you, if you'd fill that out and let us know about your visit, you can place that in our offering boxes at the doors, or you can take it to the visitor's table at the end. We'd love to know that you are here with us today. Now, I do have several announcements, so y'all bear with me as I go through uh, many of these, but one of the most important is for you to recognize that this Wednesday night, we have food again. How many of y'all, oh, I hear a few people back there. Yeah? So this Wednesday night, we have food again on Wednesday night, but we are going to just for uh, at least six weeks into the fall, see how it continues to go with us meeting um, in the fellowship hall so that the choir can still get out around, what, 7.15? Does he keep all past that? 7.30? So they can get out at least by 7.30. Um, and so just know that choir will begin promptly at 6. We'll begin our study around 6.15. It's going to take us a few minutes to to go from serving food to uh, prepared for teaching. Um, and so just bear with us on those first few days as we do that. Super excited to see how this works during the fall. Also, uh, our serve day coming up for us to help out with uh, the building owned by the Mobile Baptist Association. If you uh, have a zero-turn mower, or if you're really good with a weed eater, um, we are going to be down there on August 27th at 8 a.m. to help with the Mobile Baptist uh, taking care of the uh, building on Texas Street. Also, we have a marriage conference coming up on October 28th through 30th. You can sign up at the Grow Table. You can get more information there. You can pick up one of these to find out more information. It is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I will come back to preach on Sunday, but those who are there will count you if you're there. So just stay there and enjoy the marriage retreat, and uh, I think it's going to be a wonderful time. We have an Israel meeting right after worship today. I have all the details, the final price, all of that. So make sure that you stay if you are interested uh, in Israel. And then we have one more announcement, and I'm really excited about this. Melanie, come on up. Do you, you need a microphone, don't you? Can I turn on number five for her? Is five okay? Awesome. All right. Thank you. It is an exciting day in uh, our children's ministry and also our youth because today is what we call Move Up Sunday or Promotion Sunday. And so over here on the kids' hall, we welcomed our new kindergarten children over into children's ministry. And then also our student ministry welcomed our sixth graders. But not only that, today is a a wonderful day because we welcome our third graders in here in worship um, with all of you. And so we're excited to do that and have a little gift for them. And so at this time, I will call your name and you will come up and, and get a, we have a devotionals for our kids. Am I still on? There we go. What I'm really excited about is that we get an opportunity, church, to welcome them in here. They will be in here every Sunday from now on, on uh, to worship with us, to worship with as, as a family. And so let's let them know how excited we are as we, as we call them out to come up. All right. All right, Miss Kirsten Lineberry. All right. Come on up here. Emmy Cockrell. Okay. 
Tinley Martin. There you go, Tinley. She says she's excited <laughs> to be in here. Yes. James Bodine. Hugh Wilson. And Philip Hall. All right. I don't see Philip, but we want to thank you for welcoming him as well. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And children, I am so excited that y'all are in here with us. I know that this is going to be a transition for you, but... I know that this is going to impact your lives in a, in a mighty way, worshiping with your parents, being in here together, and we are the body of Christ together. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this incredible opportunity to welcome the third graders into to this time here with us as we worship in spirit and in truth. Father, we pray that you will just continue to, to strengthen and grow them, O oh God, as it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And I pray right now, Lord, that they would grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Father, I pray that we as the church would not look at them as the future, but we would say that if they are born again believers, they are part of the church now. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. Now, Father, thank you so much, and may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's let them know how thankful we are. Amen. That is such an, an awesome way for us to welcome uh, just the family of God into the house of God. Uh, I'm just thinking about it. And those kids, if they're in Christ, they don't get the Holy Spirit Junior, right? They get the 100% Holy Spirit of God living inside of them just like you and me. And He's guiding us and directing us all together. We're made in His image we're children of the King. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning. Would you stand with me? Say hi to the person next to you and we'll sing to our King this morning. Who am I that the highest King would welcome me? I was lost, but He brought me in. Oh, His love for me. Oh, His love.
cross, it was finished. Absolutely and totally finished. In Philippians 3, Paul says that you can take everything that I've ever gained in my entire life and I count it as trash, as rubbish, compared to the weight of the glory of knowing Christ. Right? I pray that we would say that today as we worship our King. Let's sing this together. All I once held dear, build my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted lost, spent and worthless now.
Amen. You can be seated. That's the number one thing. When we say that He's the best, it doesn't mean, oh man, that's the best meal that I've ever eaten. Or that's the, the best phone call that I've ever received. When we say that Jesus is the best, He's higher and greater, there is nothing that can come close to Him. And the Gospel is not just a good thing. It's not just a useful thing for fire insurance, right? It is the thing. It is a matter of life and death because He is the one who puts breath in our lungs, gives us a life that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. That's who we're talking about today. And great is our Lord. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken, and great are you, Lord, sing it, it's your deserves our praise. We give it to Him freely. Our praise here should be an overflow of what He's been doing all week long. And one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Amen. Let's sing that together. And all the earth will shout Your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. One more time, sing it out. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Your breath in our lungs, so we 
we give you praise. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you, our Creator God, who made us in your image. We just repent of the sin that so easily entangles us, Lord. We chose wrongly, but you had a plan. We thank you for your Son who submitted himself to the cross died and then three days later he rose again Lord we bear witness to that gospel today we are in awe of your mercy that is renewed each and every morning in awe of your grace that went all the way for us we're so grateful to have his righteousness when ours was filthy rags we pray today that the Holy Spirit would give us just those good things that you would have us to do today and that we would say through everything, through each and every step of our life, you were there. And this life was for the kingdom, was for you, Lord. We give it all to you today. Amen. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Yes, I've been a lot of places, and I've seen a lot of faces. There's been times I felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know I was his own. Through it all, through it all, oh, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God through it all, through it all. Oh, I've learned to depend upon His Word. And I thank God for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for the storms He's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. I never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all. Through it all, yes, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Yes, I've learned to depend upon His Word. I've learned to depend upon His Word.
Amen. Brother Aaron, thank you. What a wonderful song, and y'all know that I love God's Word, and that is what we are to stand upon through it all. As you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue in the Beatitudes today in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, uh, I found out the last minute that I was going to children's camp. And uh, one thing that I learned at children's camp, we had 11 children with us. One thing I learned is that Leslie and I don't need to have 11 children. (laughs) But it really was a wonderful time. Um, One of the things that I learned during this is that we are called to come to Christ like little children. To have the faith of a child. And so it was a joy just to sit there and watch and to see the kids uh, running around and just... Uh, hearing God's word and following God's word and worshiping God. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And I'm so thankful for Brother Randy. He's over here somewhere. Um, He is in the room. Uh, So thankful for Brother Randy and him sharing God's word with us last week. Um, I do want to do one thing so I don't forget this, but um, David Adams, where's David? David's right over here. David, can you stand for us for just a second? So David Adams was one of the people that was trained for the Alabama Baptist disaster relief. And he's part of the yellow shirt team, right? Well, we were all put on notice because of the floods in Kentucky. And he is leaving this week for Kentucky. And he is going up there to serve and to help with those in need. Can we pray for him? I I, I would do it at the end, but I could forget. Um, And so let's do it right now. Father, we come before your throne, and I thank you for David. I thank you for his heart to serve. I thank you for his willingness to go, to be prepared for such a time as this. And Lord, as he heads to Kentucky to help with the disaster relief of what's taken place, Father, I pray most of all that he will bring your hope, your peace, your truth, that when people see someone who's willing to come from Mobile, Alabama to give of time to help, that he can simply say it's because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now, Father, I pray protection around him and give him supernatural strength as he travels and as he goes. Father, we love you and praise you for it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. Now, in case I, is there anybody else that was called out that's going to Kentucky? Because we want to pray for you as well. I don't, I think that David was the only one that's going. Okay. All right, well, we are going to pick back up in the Beatitudes. We are on Matthew chapter 5, and we are in verse 7. Let me just remind you the first four Beatitudes that we walk through, these reflect or are connected to our relationship with God. In some sense, it's the internal, um, as you saw, poor in spirit. We recognize in reflection to God that we are nothing, right? Internally, we, we are filthy rags. We need Jesus. We saw mourning. We're mourning over our sin. We saw meekness, our rightful view of ourself before holy God. We saw two weeks ago that we're called to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're called to long for our lives to reflect his image and his character. Now the next four Beatitudes that we're going to look at is more of uh, the outward appearance that comes forth from us um, or our disposition to the world so that people can see Christ in us. Today is Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, the reason I say that this is more of an external, it's one that we do for those around us, is because we're not to show God mercy. We are to show people mercy. God is the one who is merciful to us. And when we abide and dwell and delight in Christ, we then show the mercy of God to all those around us. Which leads me to the point that we must always focus in on in these messages, and that is is that these are things that come forth from someone who is already in Christ Jesus. If you want to go and try to be merciful without knowing Christ, without being born again, without abiding and delighting and dwelling in God, then all you're going to do is build religion and legalism. Religion and legalism will, will allow you to stand before the throne and hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. See, the only way that we can have mercy coming forth from our life is if we are in Christ Jesus. That's the reason why I've been so focused on this word abide, dwell, delight in God. Through it all, right? I've learned to trust in his word. I've abided and dwelled in his word so that mercy would come forth from my life. So the first thing I want us to look at is let's just define mercy. What is mercy defined? Now, mercy is a very, 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 very broad term, and it's closely related to grace. Now, oftentimes, when you think of mercy, you say that it's uh, not receiving what you deserve, and then grace is receiving what you don't deserve, okay? So that's kind of that broad term, and they kind of go together. Mercy and grace, you often hear those words together. But going a little bit more into what mercy means, it also means compassion towards others. It also means forgiveness towards others. Now, we recognize in the scripture that God is mercy. That's who he is. And because that's who he is, we need to look no further than God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit to help us define mercy. We see in Psalm 51... As David is crying out a psalm of repentance, he says in verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of what? Your compassion blot out my transgressions. In Psalm 145, 8 and 9, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your, uh, be gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. We also see in Luke chapter 6, which is the cliff notes to the Sermon on the Mount. If you need the cliff notes, go to, um, our students probably don't even know what cliff notes are. But if you need the cliff notes, that's what got me through high school and college. But if you need the cliff notes of the Sermon on the Mount, you go to Luke chapter 6. And it says this in verse 36 of Luke 6. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So we recognize that God is mercy. That's who he is. When you talk about God is love, God is grace, that's who he is. And so today as we define this, we're going to look and and, and we're going to find two, there's many, many, many things that we could say here, but I'm going to focus in on two definitions that we see mercy in the life of Jesus. The first one is compassion in action. Compassion in action. 
In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, Jesus was going through all the cities, the villages, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then he said this, and many of you have this memorized, seeing the people, he felt what? Compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Let me explain. God looked down on his creation And he had compassion on them or pity on them because they were now separated from him. Jesus has compassion upon the people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. They're in need of a shepherd. They're in need of a savior. See, when God looked down on us, he saw our need. He had compassion and mercy on us. But praise God that he didn't stop right there. Praise God that it wasn't just a feeling. Well, you know, I have compassion and, and, you know, upon the people and they are in their sin and they are lost and they're going to die and go to hell. But, you know, I've got compassion upon them. But it led God to action. It led God to action. Compassion that is leading to action or compassion in action is mercy. You say, well, David, how, how was it led into action? Well, God sent his son, Jesus, to a virgin named Mary. He was born in the flesh. He walked on this earth for 30 plus years. And ultimately, he was crucified upon a cross, living a perfect life for you and for me, so that he could be our forgiveness, that he could be our salvation, that he could be our shepherd the propitiation for our sin, the merciful Savior. See, it speaks that in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews 2, it says this in verse 17. It says, Therefore, He, Jesus, had to be made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Church, do you realize that when you hear about the mercy of God, that God had compassion upon you, even when we were sinners, even when we were running away from God, even when we wanted nothing to do with God, he said, I had compassion upon you and it led me to action. And that action was to send my son, my only begotten son, to go to an old rugged cross for you and for me so that you could be set free. Church, when we see this, compassion is not just, and mercy is not just a feeling but it leads us to action. Now, there's a passage in Scripture, there's a story in Scripture in Luke chapter 10. Some of you know it as the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. And in this story, Jesus helps us understand what it means to have mercy upon other people. See, the beatitude is, blessed are the merciful, happy are those who are merciful towards other people, for they shall receive mercy. So we see that Jesus had compassion, God had compassion, led to action, which was Jesus upon the cross, so that we could be forgiven. In the Good Samaritan, in Luke chapter 10, it says this, and I'm going to read to you this story. 
a lawyer stood up in verse 25 and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I think that's very interesting that he would ask that question. It goes back to their hatred for for different people. If you go back to the book of Ephesians, how God tore down the dividing wall between the Greeks and, and the Jews. He says this in verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. He felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them and putting him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Jesus says, which of these Three, do you think provided to be a neighbor, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed what? Mercy towards him. And then Jesus said, go and do the same. Church, when we hear blessed are the merciful, we are called to have compassion that brings about action in our life. Let's just think for a moment. What are some of the reasons that the priest and the Levite may not have helped? Maybe they were too busy. Well, I'm, I'm so busy, I've got to go to the next thing that, that I just don't have time to stop here. Sometimes we can say, well, well, I'm just so busy that I miss this and I miss that opportunity. Possibly they looked down on him. They said, well, well that's somebody that I can't be around because I'm supposed to be washed and cleansed so that I can do my priestly duties and this person is hurt and, and he's got wounds and all this. And, or maybe it's, or maybe it's the, the nationality of the person. And he says, well, you know, I'm going to stay back. I'm going to move to the other side. Maybe he just didn't want to get involved because he knew that it would be messy. Maybe they were concerned about a long-term commitment. Or maybe they valued their religious duties over loving their neighbor. But the Samaritan was not this way. It says in this story that the Samaritan felt compassion. When I think about the Samaritan feeling compassion towards the one who was hurt and left half dead, I'm reminded of the father of the prodigal son. That when his son, who had ultimately betrayed him, left him, took his money and said, I'm going to go and I'm going to go do my own thing. And he spends it wildly until the point that he's literally hungering for food and he goes to the pigsty. 
He has that aha moment and he says, you know what? It'd be better to be a servant in my father's house than what I'm doing right here. And he goes down the road and it says this in Luke 15 verse 20. You can just write that down. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. Church, do we have that feeling of compassion towards those who are in need? Do we have compassion in our heart for the lost who has a greater need than something physical? They have a spiritual need. Or do we find ourselves like the priest and the Levite that says, I know, I see there's a need over here, but, but it's a lot cleaner and easier for me just to walk this way and turn my eyes away from the situation. See, praise God that Jesus didn't do that in our life. Praise God he didn't say, well, I see that there's sinners in need of a Savior, but that's going to require me going to a cross with nails in my hands and nails in my feet and being whipped of a cat of nine tails and having the, the, the clothes ripped off of me after the blood had dried on his back and then placed up there to die. You know what, it, wouldn't, it won't be so hard, it won't be so painful. I'm just going to walk this way. Praise God, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Praise God that he took action. The Samaritan not just felt the compassion in his heart, but he acted upon it. Look at what he did. He used his oil, his wine, his donkey, and his money. And he used it all wisely. He used it appropriately for this man in need. This man in need could not repay back the oil and the wine. He couldn't repay back the money that was in need. Jesus even tells us in Luke chapter 6, he says that whenever you give, to give with nothing, expecting nothing in return. See, church, do we realize that everything that God has blessed us with is to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. Listen, when we have compassion upon someone, we've got to recognize that the things that God has blessed us with are to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. Not to be hoarded away or, or set aside where, where we don't use it. 1 John three seventeen through 18 says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love not let us not love with word or tongue but in deed and in truth we look at this good samaritan he was willing he had compassion in his heart he was willing to help even with the inconvenience of the time even with the inconvenience of having to give up some of the stuff that he had can i tell you that if stuff has you you'll never give it up to use for god's kingdom he was willing to use that so that this person could be healed. Are we willing to walk in that compassion, using all that God has given us for his glory and for his kingdom so that people can be not just physically healed, but spiritually healed? See, one of the two major definitions that the Lord put on my heart about, uh, about mercy is compassion and action. But I can't leave this without saying this as well. For some of us, 
we need to recognize that there's times that we're the one that's in need. And if we're not willing to receive when a brother or sister is coming alongside to help, then we're walking in pride. Church, I'll never forget going through one of the most difficult times in my life where I was in a place where I literally had to allow people to come and help. And I said, God, I I, I would much rather be the one helping people. And God said, David, I'm going to break you of this pride. I'm going to break you of it. I'm going to teach you that we're all a family of God and you're not called to be some super Christian that all you do is give. You're also called to receive. Do you realize that there are people that walk in such pride about not receiving that they still have yet to receive the free gift of eternal life from Jesus Christ? Because they say, no, I've got to earn it. No, I'm a self-made person. I have all this. Let me purchase that. Let me buy that. Let me show that I earn this. And God's saying, you can't earn it. Fall on your face before me. Submit to the Lordship of Christ. Praise God that God saw us in our brokenness, enslaved to the enemy. No way to pay, no way to help ourselves, and he had mercy on us. He acted. He sent his son at the right timing so that he could go to the cross so that we could be set free. But you know, there's another side of mercy, another definition that we see in the life of Jesus, and that's forgiveness. Mercy is compassion and action, and mercy is forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, we have sinned against holy God, every one of us. The scripture says that for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned against holy God. And praise God that he forgives those who are in Christ, those who have received the free gift of eternal life based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, when we realize that we've sinned against God and that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf so that we could be forgiven, it's then that we're able to to go to others and forgive others. When we recognize the debt that was paid on our behalf. There's a passage of scripture where Jesus speaks very clearly of this in Matthew 18. Verse 21 through 35. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? That was a good job, Peter. I mean, he was going further than one, right? Most of us would just say, is one enough, God? Is one enough? And Peter's like, oh, I at least said seven. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to, I do not say to you up to 70 times, but 70 times seven. But then Jesus, who was a master, uh, uh, God's only son, perfect, who could, was a master at storytelling and sharing parables and, and understanding for people, illustrations. And he said this, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 
But since he did not have the means to repay him, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and he prostrated himself before him and said, have patience on me and I will repay everything. And the, the Lord of the slave felt what? Compassion. Released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he, uh, and he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and begged to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. They came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning, uh, and then summoning him, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had what? Mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same. If each one... If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Church, when we look at that, we are that guy who had a debt we couldn't pay. We're the one who pleads before the Lord and says, I can't pay this debt. And he had compassion upon us. And he paid the debt through his son, Jesus. We had a debt that needed to be forgiven that we could never pay. You know, it reminds me of a hymn. Now, y'all don't want me to sing, so I asked Brother Aaron to keep a, a mic over there. But that hymn that says, he paid a debt he did not owe, and I owed a debt I could not pay. I need someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Church, can we sing that together? Can we sing that, Brother Aaron? Let's sing it. You, you lead it a cappella for us. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. All day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. He paid the debt at Calvary. He saved my soul and set me free. I'm so glad that Jesus washed all my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. All day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Church, do we realize that? Do we live in view of that? That there was a debt that we could never pay, and Jesus paid that debt. He forgave us. I'm telling you, if you don't come to that understanding, church, you'll never be able to walk in forgiveness of others. Until you get to the place and recognize that there was a debt greater than you could ever pay that was going to send you to hell. And God had compassion 
He sent his son to pay the debt to forgive you. Can I tell you that if you're not able to forgive others, but you can sing that song, let me say it this way, if you can sing that song, but yet not be able to forgive others, then you are just like the person in that story. If you can sing, man, he paid a debt I cannot pay. He took all my sins and washed them away. But then when a brother or sister wrongs you, if you can't walk in forgiveness, then you are just like that person in the story who God or the Lord or the king in that story says, hey, you're forgiven. You're forgiven of a debt that you would never be able to pay in your lifetime. But yet then you go out to somebody who only owes like two days wages or just a few months wages and you say, put them in jail. Put them in prison. Church, we are called to walk in forgiveness of one another. And we can only do that when we walk in view of God's great forgiveness for us. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Just as God has forgiven you. Church, when we walk in forgiveness, do you realize that you are reflecting the image and the character of holy God? So I put just a few practical things down about forgiveness. Five practical things. Number one, in this practical step of forgiveness It's impossible in your own strength. It's impossible in your own strength. We must abide and dwell and allow the Holy Spirit to do this in and through us. If you're not forgiving others, then you're not abiding. I'll just say it again. If you're not forgiving others, then you're not abiding in Christ. And you may say, David, I don't like like that. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will always, 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 always go according to the Word of God. Always. And the Word of God says that we are called to forgive one another. If you are not willing to forgive a brother or sister in Christ, or if you're not willing to walk in forgiveness even of those who are lost and don't know what they're doing against you, I'm telling you, church, we're not abiding. You cannot abide in Christ And live contrary to the word of God. So the first thing is it's impossible in our own strength. The second practical is forgiveness is not accepting what someone has done. It's not making what someone has done right. Forgiveness is letting go of something against a person despite what they have done towards you. It's a way for reconciliation to begin to start. And let me tell you, I can offer forgiveness. I can seek forgiveness. But it's a two-way street. It still requires somebody to receive that forgiveness. Now you may say, but David, what if you've offered forgiveness and they don't receive that forgiveness? You have done everything biblically that you can do to be at peace with all people. And so you continue forward for the kingdom of God. Number three on practical steps of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an emotion. 
Forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of the will. Now let me be very clear with you. I I don't know if I've ever felt like forgiving somebody. I don't know if my feelings inside of me wherever, man, I just I just look forward to I find so much joy in forgiving that person. Listen, feelings are real. God created us with feelings, but feelings will deceive us if we don't keep our eyes on the truth. Church, it's not a feeling. You don't wait till you feel to forgive somebody, like feel like forgiving. You say, God, I am trusting you. I'm asking you through the power of the Holy Spirit to allow me to forgive, to bring about forgiveness to someone. Listen, I have literally forgave someone before and woke up with this feeling of disgust the next day. Like, ah! Which leads to my fourth point. Forgiveness is a daily event. It's daily. That's why Jesus says 70 times 7. For some of you in the room, it's moment by moment. Maybe all of us. Church, there's been times, I guarantee you in this room, that you have sought forgiveness Somebody has done something against you and you sought forgiveness in your heart towards that person. You've forgiven them and you wake up the next day and you're like, and what do we need to do? We must walk in forgiveness. That's why Jesus says 70 times 7. It's a daily thing. Can I tell you that every day, waking up every day, asking God to strengthen you, abiding in Him, forgiving others, right? Every day, let me tell you what will happen. Eventually, over time, all that pain and frustration in your heart will have slowly gone away. But it requires continual abiding and dwelling. It's a daily thing. So then there's another, and this is the last point, I guess number five in this, is that the lack of forgiveness does more harm to you than the other person. You begin to build up resentment, bitterness, and anger. I saw a church sign one time. I love church signs. I don't want one here that we have to change every week, but I do like driving by them. Some of them are very interesting, but this one said, lack of forgiveness is pouring your enemy a vial of poison and you drinking it yourself. And you drinking it yourself. Church, I'm here to tell you that it's more harmful towards you than the other person. So we recognize that if we're going to say, blessed are the merciful, those who, uh, happy are those who, who give, who show mercy, we're going to be walking, uh, in, we're going to have compassion in action. And we're going to be walking in forgiveness. We're going to forgive others. Even Jesus in his model prayer speaks of that. So then the last point of of this passage is this reward, right? I told you that all the Beatitudes are kind of like, hey, this happens, and then there's this, this, this blessing. And the blessing is, is that you shall receive mercy. 
We will receive mercy. Now, we need to be very careful here because you can read that and say, okay, if I offer mercy, then I get mercy. And then you will begin to build a legalistic, works-based religion. You actually have to look at this backwards, okay? The only way that you can give mercy is if you've received mercy. The only way that you can forgive is if you have been forgiven and you see that you've been forgiven. The only way that you can walk in compassion for the lost, for those in need, those in pain, and and, and have action towards that, releasing even your material things to help, support, is if you've seen that God did that by sending His Son for you. See, what we recognize in this passage is that we receive mercy from God and that we reflect His image by giving and sharing mercy to all those around. Let me close by reading to you Colossians 3, 12-13. So as those who have been chosen of God those who are born again, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who once were dead and now are alive, or as our culture says, those who are Christians. But let me tell you, it's more than just calling yourself a Christian. Those who have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It says, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Church, when we look at blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, God is calling us to reflect the image and character of God. Which is why today for us to have a definition of mercy, we needed to look at the life of Jesus. We needed to see Jesus' mercy upon us, His compassion towards us, His action of giving His life for us. And now church, we must abide and dwell and have compassion on those around us. We must allow that compassion to lead to action. And we must walk in forgiveness. Even the lost, who we may say is our enemy, because the scripture says to forgive those, even your enemies, those who come against you, we're called to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize that they're lost. They don't realize that they're in need of a Savior. But when we show them forgiveness, they may see for the first time the forgiveness of the Father towards you and towards me. 